Well, church, it's good to, to be with you. As Joseph said, I'm, I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. Um, it's good to be uh, with you. And I, I see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of unfamiliar faces, um, but certainly a, a delight uh, for me to join you uh, in this space. And actually, a, a few times this summer, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be with you. I think many of you know that uh, Tim is going to go on sabbatical soon, and so uh, we'll talk about that more at the end of the service, but you're going to be stuck with me a handful of of times. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Nathan. I've been a part of Christ Community actually since I was a high school student. Uh, so way back in the 90s, if you can remember that far back. Uh, have been on staff since 2005. Uh, worked uh, closely with Tim. Tim was a resident at the Olathe campus. That's where I spend the majority of my time. So when Tim first joined our staff, he was a resident like Joseph. Uh, and he and I worked closely together there. And then many of you uh, went with Tim uh, from the Olathe campus to help start this campus here. And so long history work with Tim. Think very highly of him. Such an incredible pastor and uh, a joy as well. Uh, a little bit else about me, more importantly, is my, my family. So uh, my, my wife, uh, Kelly, uh, she's truly the most amazing woman in the world. Uh, we've been married, just celebrated 19 years together. And then David is 14 and Eden is 12. So a little picture of us somewhere in, in Texas. So anyway, let me, let me pray for us, uh, if that's okay. And then we'll, we'll get started in God's word this morning. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your church. I'm thankful for your word and that we get to center ourselves around it once again this morning. God, I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that you have not left us alone to wonder what the best life ought to look like, what it looks like to, to follow you, of, of, to know who we are and who you are. God, that you have revealed your word through your Holy Spirit to your people. And so, God, I pray that you would help me as I proclaim it now. And I pray that we, as your people, would be receptive to what you have for us this morning. We depend on you, Holy Spirit, for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever wonder if God can use you? And probably, right? I think we probably all do from time to time. Like, you know, can, can God use me? Like, even if you're not a person of faith, right, you probably have, like, similar questions. You might not ask it quite like that, but it might sound like, you know, can, can I accomplish anything of value, right? Can anything meaningful come out of my life? Can God use me? You know, to raise my kids, to love my neighbors, to see that, that lost person I love come to faith in Jesus, to, to help the hurting or the oppressed. Like, can God use me to do anything worthwhile? And I think, I think we probably are quick to acknowledge that, yeah, I mean, God can use people, right? He can use those people, right? But can he use me? Because we, we know ourselves too well, don't we? Uh, we, we know our limitations, we, we know our, our flaws, our sins. You might say, I'm too, I'm too young for God to use me, I'm too old for God to use me, I'm too poor, I'm too busy, I'm too married, I'm too single, I'm too sinful. Can God use me? Well, that, if that describes you, you sound exactly like the kind of person God tends to use. In fact, if you, if you know this book at all, the kind of people that God tends to choose to be deeply involved in his plan, in his work, are kind of ordinary people. Insecure people. People who have lots of problems, sins, pasts. Like that's, that is who God 
tends to be overlooked and the ignored. Because God can. And if you take just one thing with you from our our time this morning, uh, from this forgotten story of, of Miriam's life, I hope it's this. It's that God can. God can use Miriam. God can use you. So turn, turn to Exodus chapter 2. We'll read our scripture passage in just a moment. Uh, but a couple, a couple weeks ago, we started a new series. We're, we're calling it Forgotten Family, uh, Together as a Church. We're walking through some of the, the forgotten stories of the Bible, right? Stories that we maybe never even heard. Oh, but if you did, like, you've probably forgotten. They're, they're kind of the neglected stories. Not the famous stories, but the subtle ones of God's persistent work through ordinary people. So we're kind of jumping around a little bit, um, looking at a variety of those Old and New Testament. And I'm going to read the first part of our story in just a moment. There's actually three parts in this story. We get three snapshots of Miriam's life. Uh, but the first part, I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of set it up first, because if you know we're doing, like, Forgotten Family, and then you hear the first part of her story, it's like, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? Almost, almost everybody knows at least part of the story. We've at least heard of Moses, right? So most of us know some of it. So how does, how does Miriam fit? Well, I think in two ways in particular. One, I don't think many of us have entered this story through the eyes of Miriam, trying to understand what she entered into, what she experienced. And second, I don't think many of us know the rest of her life. We've kind of forgotten much of her story. And we need her story because it reminds us that God can. So let me, let me read God's word for us this morning. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young men walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, like, you hear that, like, okay, many of us are probably at least somewhat familiar. Like, we've heard of Moses, right? We've, I've heard of Egypt, right? I've heard of, of Pharaoh. But Miriam? Do you notice that her name is not even mentioned in the first part of her sto- this story? She's just sister. A young girl, a slave. And so, so imagine with me growing up in a world in which you were a slave, 
And that's all you knew was slavery and oppression. That's all your people. For 400 years, that's all you'd known, okay? And, and so she's a slave. Her parents are slaves. Her grandparents were slaves. Her great, 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 grand, like all, all, like this is the world that she, that she knew. And, and your captors, we find out in chapter one, the enslavers have just enacted a new law to sort of cut down on the Hebrew population. Genocide has been around for a really long time. And so if we go back in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So imagine being pregnant. You can't find out what you're having, right, in that, in that time. So imagine waiting for nine months to find out whether or not your child is going to live or die. Girl or boy? And we know she has a boy. And we, we know, like Moses, right? We, we know he's going to grow up to be one of the most important people in the history of God's people. He's going he's to lead them out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? Through the Red Sea and all of that, right? He's going he's to hand them the Ten Commandments. He's going to lead them towards the Promised Land. He's even going to be like a, a foreshadow of the Messiah Jesus who would come. Moses would do all of that and more. We know that. But his mom and sister don't know that. His mom's not thinking about, you know, Charlton Heston. I love this picture, right? That's what we think of, right? When we think of Moses. That's not what's on her mind. She's thinking about her baby. And so she hides him. Enter Miriam. Now, here, here's what made this story really come alive to me over the last couple of weeks as I've, as I've studied it. When, when I read it a couple of weeks ago and, and started working on this, this message, I, when, I, when I tried to like picture, okay, what was it like for Miriam, I, inst- I couldn't help myself. I pictured this girl. This is, this is my precious daughter, my little girl. She's 12. And we don't, we don't know how old Miriam is in this story, but she's almost certainly way younger than that. Some scholars would say that she's as young as seven in this story. I know, of course, I don't, I don't picture Miriam with blonde hair and fair skin, but I picture Miriam with that kind of innocence. Not as a protector, but as someone who needs protecting, right? She's just a little girl, a child, but her baby brother is in trouble. And I have so many questions about this story. Like how we, we, we know very little, but like she watches, right? As her mom says goodbye to this three-month-old little baby. She, that's all she could hide him for, three months. She sees her mom place him in a homemade raft and set him in a river. And it says in verse 4, And his sister stood at a distance to know it would be done to him. I mean, did she follow him? Did she have to watch long? Were there ever spots where he got wet or almost tipped over, right? Was it the water smooth or, or was it fast? Like, I just, I have so many questions. Like, I'd love to be able to enter into this story. We don't, we don't know. Or was this even a plan that she and her mom had sort of concocted together? Like, here's our attempt to say, we don't know exactly what happened. 
But we do know that God had a plan to deliver his people. And he was going to use this little slave girl to get it started. For Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, right? Verse 6, when she opened it, she saw the child. She took pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews. This is one of, this is one of our slave children. And he's a boy. This is one of the ones that we're supposed to kill. And his sister, Miriam, I, I picture her trembling, trying to be brave. Again, I picture my own daughter when she's trying to be strong, when she's afraid. I mean, I, I know that look, right? Some of you know that look. You've seen that in your own children when they're, when they're terrified, but they know they have to do something anyway. I picture that in her eyes, right? And she walks up to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, the one the one who was enslaving them, the one who had just said all the boys have to be killed, like this Pharaoh, his daughter. And the child, Miriam, speaks to her. Verse 7. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the, the girl went and called the child's mother. And then just the, I mean, it's just an amazing, like, and then, like, Moses' mom ends up getting paid to, to take care of him. I mean, it's just a, it's an amazing, miraculous, beautiful story. And so she gets her brother back, right? Her mom gets her son back. Moses gets his life back. God's plan to rescue his people continues to move forward because of the courage of this child. And if God can use her, God can use you. And maybe, maybe this is obvious. Maybe it isn't. I want to I say it anyway. I think this is the first thing that, that grabs me in Miriam's story. We're gonna, again, we're going to walk through sort of three scenes in her life. And each one of them, there's, there's something that just jumps out at me about this story that I think, I think we need today. And so here, here's the first thing from Miriam's story. It's that our age can't stop him. Again, maybe that's obvious. Maybe you know that, right? Maybe I'm just pre preaching to the choir here. But your age cannot stop you, cannot stop God from using you. And Miriam's story, I mean, it's not very glamorous, right? She's not talking to the burning bush. She's not, you know, spreading her arms out as the, as the Red Sea parts. Moses sort of gets the glory, so to speak, in these stories. But there wouldn't be a Moses without this brave little girl. And so kids, students, we love having you in, in church here with us. Like, I hope you like, connect with the story. I hope you're listening to this story. Like, this is kind of your story, right? Because you, you might feel too small or too young or too overlooked. But God wants to use you to impact your friends, to encourage your siblings or parents at school or on the team. You may be thinking, well, what, what can I possibly do? I'm just a kid, right? Well, look at Miriam. And I remember so clearly back in high school, I grew up in faith, in a you know, Christian home and all of that, but I, I, it's, it's so ridiculous, but I just I remember so clearly throughout high school saying to myself on a regular basis, you know what, when I get older, then I'll take Jesus seriously. Like, when I get older, then I'll, then I'll follow him, right? And, and eventually, as my senior year in high school, I was 18, and I was like, I kept saying that, and I was like, what, what am I doing? Like, oh, to win, right? Why, why am I waiting for this? Why do I keep pushing? pushing this off. You don't, listen, you don't have to wait. God wants you now. And sometimes 
Sometimes I think well-meaning people will, will say something like, you know, kids are our future, or kids are the church of the future, and obviously that's true, but it's so much more than that. Like, kids, you are the church right now. You, you are a part of God's mission, God's plan, God's work, God's family right now. You don't have to wait until you're older or bigger or more noticed for God to use. Your age can't stop him. The same is true for those of you who maybe consider yourselves a young adult. I remember there was a day when I thought I was a young adult. It's been a long time now. But for some of you, like, I know, like, this, I remember how overwhelming it is. Like, you're starting your career, you're, you're trying to figure out life and all of that. And so it's easy to sort of, again, sort of excuse yourself out of God's mission. But you don't have to be, you don't have to wait. There are places to serve here, in your, in your church family, and in, in your community, your neighborhood, with your friends. You don't have to wait. And then on the other side, like, for those of us who are maybe a bit older... You know who you are. Um, we may not always understand our millennial brothers and sisters or Gen Z, but God is going to use them, right? Because that's what God does. Like every, every generation has looked at the next generation and been like, I don't know what's going on there. Like that's just a normal thing. Like we always do that, but God is going to use them because God can. How about a little respect, Okay. And again, for those of us who are maybe on the other end of this, Miriam is a child. But if you understand God's story, you also know that he loves to use the super old, doesn't he? He does. So a little respect on that end as well. And so if you're, if you're older, like God wants to use you as well. To pour into the next generation. Um, to care for, for those coming behind you. Like, you, you can't use the excuse of, I'm retired, or I'm too old, or too achy, or too out of touch. And again, I'm including myself in most of that, okay? But if God was done with you, you would be dead, right? Like, if you're not dead, you are not done. And the generations coming behind you are starving for your encouragement and your help. God wants to use you as well. From the youngest to the oldest, our age cannot stop God. And we, a, couple, a couple months ago, we uh, got wind of a story within our church family, uh, and we captured some of it on video. I want us to take a little watch right now. So it actually started um, at the beginning of COVID. One day we were just upstairs, and she said that she had a message. And so she said, can you film me? And so I was like, of course. I had no idea what she was going to say. And she just started talking um, like she had been on camera forever. <laughs> when it matters about your heart, it matters to God. Your heart is special. It's special than anything in the whole world. She would record things that she says which are funny or things that we just plan to keep for ourselves, but it was so cute that we felt like we needed to share it. Jesus is the one who created us. He created everything. Even walls and pictures and ceilings, even humans. And then she really got into baking during COVID, and so she liked to share messages. I'm Albert. Today we're going to make cookies. I know you, you're having trouble again, but we can do it. One of the videos that people love is her showing how to make lunch, kind of teaching her friends to be a little more independent. 
then um, we would get some contacts from friends saying like, hey, can Alba give us some encouragement? Jack is my friend from church. He had trouble tying his shoes. Hi, it's your friend Alba here. I know you don't believe in you can do it, but please believe in yourself. God will help you any way you want and helping you go for your day and your shoes. My videos are for to encouraging people. I think it's it's fun that she can be inspiring to, to others and, and it, it makes my heart feel happy that you know she is is serving in that way and being a light for God. It makes us really proud of her too that that she thinks to say you know those type of encouragements to people and that she remembers that it's important to go to God first, that she knows that she can go to God for anything and that she is brave enough to tell her friends that they need to go to God. It's fun to encourage in people. Ugh, I love that. Don't you think that makes God smile? Our age cannot stop him from using us. You can't miss that in the first part of Miriam's story. But you know, Miriam grows up. We don't know a ton about the rest of her life, but again, we get two other sort of clear snapshots in her life. She grows up because of her Moses gets to grow up. And she and her brother Aaron, so the three of them, all lead God's people. And centuries later, actually, the prophet Micah sort of reflects back on this incredible moment in God's deliverance and credits all of them with leading together. And includes Miriam in this list of, of these, these three heroes. It's in Micah chapter 6. God is speaking here. God says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I love that she's included there, right? Because again, we don't know much more about her, but there is this one story back, go back to Exodus 15, uh, kind of a big moment in, in her, her life and actually in the lives of all of the Israelites. So, so in this part, Miriam, she's much older at this point, uh, much, much older. Uh, and the people are, have just like, they've just crossed the Red Sea. So like imagine what that must have been like, Right. You were a slave, and now you've just parted. And so they're, they're singing and rejoicing. And I love what it says about Miriam. Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. It says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. It's a bit of a grisly song, right? Knowing what just happened there. But again, like imagine, like they thought they were going to have to go back to, as slaves. They thought they were going to be murdered. And then the waters closed, right? And they're rejoicing, celebrating God's deliverance. And she leads God's people in celebration and worship. And did you, did you see there what she's referred to as? It's kind of interesting. She's called a prophetess. Did you, did you notice that? A prophetess. In fact, she's the first woman in the Bible with that title. There, there are others, but she's the first prophetess. Essentially, someone who speaks and leads on behalf of God. And not only, not only that, uh, unlike most women in the Bible, she's, actually, she's never referred to as a wife or a mother. Which, if you're familiar with ancient cultures, like, that's kind of unusual, right? For that, for that culture, this is, this is extremely rare. So this, this means she was probably, probably single and childless, is most likely. Single and childless, which, again, in that culture would have been extremely rare, even, even shameful to some extent. 
But there's no shame here. And this, this doesn't minimize, obviously, the work of being a wife and mom. Like, that's awesome if that describes you. Go for it and do that, do that work well, of, of course. But as I look at Miriam's story, it reminds us that, like, that's, that's not the most important thing about you. It's an important aspect of your life, but it is not the most important thing about you. Because Miriam, here she is. She's none of those things. Most likely, she's none of those things. And yet she's a hero, a prophetess, and a leader with God's people because God can. Which leads to the second reason why we need this forgotten story. Again, this might be obvious. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. But it needs to be said. Our gender can't stop God. Our gender cannot stop God from using it. Female and male matter deeply to the heart of God. And being a woman does not mean you have to take the back seat to God's mission. Now, listen, it's not that gender is irrelevant. Gender matters to God. It was his idea. It's not a cultural invention, even if it has often been misused and abused by any number of cultures. But gender itself is a good thing, a beautiful thing. Men and women are not the same. We're, we're, meant to be, we're not meant to be the same or, or interchangeable. We're meant to work and love in a beautiful relationship, reflecting the glory of God and his love for his people. So gender matters, right? But if you think for a moment that being a woman or a single woman or a childless woman or being married with a ton of kids... Like, if you think any of that inhibits the ability of God to use you, then you're wrong. Look at Miriam. It didn't stop her. And it shouldn't stop you. And yet, far too often, the subtle and sometimes not so subtle, you know, treatment of women by fellow Christians has communicated otherwise. Right? And sometimes, sometimes as, as Christians, we've not done a very good job in communicating that women matter as much as men. In fact, maybe that's, maybe that's a reason why you're not a Christian. Uh, maybe, maybe it's an area, maybe you are a Christian, but it's an area of deep struggle for you as you think about how does the Bible understand women and, and how, do, how do I fit into that? Or maybe you just know that as you talk to your neighbors or classmates, that this is, a, this is a big hurdle for a lot of people. And let me just say, far too often this critique has been all too true. People have used the Bible to mistreat women, right? And if you've experienced that, I just want to say I'm really sorry. Whether that's been in, in a church context by other Christians, whether it's been in your home, that is not God's heart for you. That is not the intention of this book, and I'm really, really sorry. This book, which I love, right? We love this book, but it can sadly be twisted in all kinds of ways to do all kinds of harm. And again, if that's your experience, I'm sorry. If there's ways that we can engage you in that, help you work through some of that, please, please let us know. And I know as well at Christ Community, like we've, we've failed at times to live up to our own theological commitments. Because while we, we do believe like, that there are biblical distinctions between men and women, we've not fully lived into our biblical commitment to empower more women leading, pastoring, and teaching within our complementarian framework. We're making progress here, but we have a long ways to go. And if you have questions about any of that or what that means or even complementarian framework, like talk to one of us on staff. We'd love to chat through what we're trying to do better as a church. And, and so yes, some of, this, some of this critique is absolutely 
deserved. And yet I love, I love how theologian and apologist Rebecca McLaughlin has wrestled with this. She's, she's got a couple of uh, really helpful books kind of wrestling with what are the big questions uh, against Christianity these days, like sort of the attacking questions. And one of them is, certainly, right, how does, how does the Bible understand women? And so she, she wrestles with some of this. But in her, in her book, she seeks to understand why not only historically, but even today, like around the world, why, why has the church always been disproportionately female? I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty good question, right? If, if the accusations are true, that the, the, the Bible has, has mistreated women, that Christianity has mistreated women, then why, why are so many women drawn to Jesus? This, is, this has been true since the, since the first century. Why, why are they drawn to women? Because at least in part, she points out, Jesus completely upended the common assumptions around gender in that day and for every culture. And so just even for example, and this is part of what Rebecca works through, is like today as a baseline assumption, right, we just, we all know, without even thinking about it, we all know that men and women are equal, right? I mean, that's just a baseline assumption. We don't question that. Like that's, we assume that. But she points out that in the first century or in the ancient world, their baseline assumption, what everyone just knew and assumed was that women were inferior to men. I mean, sadly, right? But that was, that was the water they swim in. And so Jesus comes on the scene and the church, and he completely flips it upside down, welcomes women, right? Gives them places of dignity and leadership and purpose and safety within that culture outside of traditional gender roles. And so far from undermining the value, worth, and dignity, when the biblical story actually provides the foundation for these things. And she, she points out, for example, as well, that the, the reason, right, that our culture is so passionate about human rights, about women's rights, as we should, right? But the reason we're so passionate about these things is because of our Christian framework underneath all of these things, because of our like, cultural, philosophical framework for the world. Like if we're all just highly evolved animals, if that's, if that's who we are, then it's survival of the fittest, people. Like the, the powerful should take from the weak. And yet she points out that it is Christianity and Christianity alone and the way it has shaped our culture that has made the world say no to that. To say that, no, human rights, women's rights, all these things matter deeply to God. With Jesus, we see that. You know, with many of these incredible stories, like Miriam's, right? And we're going to look at some of these, like, you know, last week with Deborah and Jael, right? And others in this, this story, it's clear. Women are called by God to play a critical role and his mission. And so we need each other, don't we? Male and female to show forth the beauty, complexity, strength, and wonder of the image of God. And God can use you. There's one more really strange snapshot in Miriam's life. In fact, it's actually one of the stories you almost kind of wish wasn't there, right? Because, like, up to this point, okay, she, she rescues her brother. She's incredibly courageous, right? When she's just a child, she's, she's a woman leading God's people as a prophetess in that, in that culture, in that day. But this last snapshot, you just can't help but notice Miriam, as well as Moses and Aaron, like us, she's a sinner. She doesn't do everything right. In Numbers 12, I mean, this is, this is like her final story, right? She just, she blows it. So there's this power struggle. And so this is when they're, you know, they're wandering in the wilderness. And there's this power struggle between Miriam and Aaron on one side and Moses on the other. 
And it's really clear in the story that Miriam and Aaron, they sin against God. And sort of, and sort of this, 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 you know, sort of vying for power among the three of them. And as, as a result, Miriam becomes a leper. Like, she actually gets leprosy, which in that day, not only would that have dramatically shortened her life, but it meant, also meant the rest of her life she'd be an outcast, right? Because she's completely condemned and unwanted. But they repent. In fact, Aaron says on behalf of both of them in Numbers 12, he says, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. And seven days later, Miriam is healed. And remember, she's remembered hundreds of years later by the prophet Micah as one of the heroes. Despite her failures, despite her mistakes, she is still one of the people that God uses. Because God can. And so one, one last reminder for all of us, and again, maybe this is obvious, right? We, maybe you know this, but I want to say it anyway. We can't forget Miriam's story because she reminds us that even our mistakes can't stop him. Even our mistakes can't stop God from using us. Man, I, I need that reminder. Your mistakes, your failures, your sins. I mean, think about this. We, we see them in just about all but one of the Bible stories, don't we? Every character but one. Only Jesus is flawless. Every one of them else fails at some point along the way in the famous ones and the forgotten ones, and yet it doesn't stop God from working. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, but Nathan, you don't, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. You don't know what I did last night, right? You don't know what's going on in my life even right now. You're right. I don't. I don't. But I do know this. If God can use Miriam, he can use you. For he offers us forgiveness restoration and life at every turn. And he wants to use you. Because, you know, centuries, centuries later, there'd actually be another Miriam. We don't, we don't think of her as, as Miriam because in our uh, sort of our translations, uh, we, we call her Mary, but the, the words are almost exactly the same, Miriam and Mary. It's essentially the same. And there are even parallels within their stories, like, you know, Miriam early on in this grand story of God's redemption, and then Mary, right, as the, as the mother of Jesus. And, and, and both of them, as, as children, asked to do incredibly courageous things, right, to be incredibly brave. Both of them also are songwriters, singing songs of God's deliverance, just as Miriam did as they crossed the Red Sea. Mary cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And while Miriam probably had no children, Mary, of course, would have Jesus. And her son would be the reason why our age can't stop him, our gender can't stop him, our mistakes can't stop him, because not even the grave could stop him. For just as the Lord threw the Egyptian slave masters into the sea, so our God has thrown death and sin into the grave. And for with us, there is, with him, there is great hope. The things that limit us, divide us, that threaten to tear us apart, that, that push us down, that, that, that fuel our insecurities and our shame, those things no longer get the last word over us because of Jesus. 
young and old, male and female, no matter how sordid your past or difficult your present, if he can part the waters of the Red Sea, if Jesus can walk out of the grave alive, if he can use Miriam and Mary, he can certainly use you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful in my own life for these reminders. Even in this moment, God, I'm thankful that you can use me. And so, God, I I pray for for each of us in this space and joining us online. God, I pray that you would point out the ways you've already used us as well as the ways that you want to use us. Help us to be willing. Help us to be open to, to whatever you have for us and help us, God, to be faithful in those spaces. Knowing that ultimately it is you who longs to work for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. We ask you to do this, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen.